Hello and welcome. This is the LCU Podcast, the podcast that will bring stories, insights, and people from Lubbock Christian University. I'm your host, Keegan Stewart, and I'm happy to be with you for another episode. On today's episode, I have a conversation with LCU's new provost, Dr. Kent Gallagher. Dr. Gallagher has a decorated career in Christian higher education, where he's worked both as an administrator and an accomplished fundraiser. Since 2020, he has served as Associate Dean of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Lipscomb. He and his wife, Marsha, just moved to Lubbock. He has two grown sons and one granddaughter that he's very proud of. I hope that this conversation helps you get to know our provost a little bit better. Here is the conversation with Dr. Kent Gallagher. Dr. Gallagher, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Your first day at LCU was July 1st, so that, that makes it exactly one weekend. How, how was your first week at LCU? My first week has been, uh, has been filled with uh, learning, I, I think. I'm trying to learn my new school and all of the folks that, uh, that are going to be working with me, all of our deans and director of the library and director of the, the global learning community and our director of our center for, for teaching, learning, and scholarship and just trying to get a handle on uh, the, the scope of the, of the job. I've also had some really generous friends who are provosts at other universities that I've been able to visit with and for them to, to help me get a handle on what it means to be a provost. I've, I've been in a dean's office. I've been a department head. I've run programs and alumni organization. It's my first time in the provost seat. And uh, uh, the provost at Mary Harden Baylor, a guy named uh, Vassar, uh, he and I had a fantastic conversation this week where he said, you know, the CFO is responsible for the money. Uh, the... Um, the vice president for student life is responsible for the students and uh, you are responsible for our faculty. Hmm. And, uh, and, and that, that kind of helped put things in, in perspective. Uh, I think if I asked my kids, what would they want to be in charge of? They would say probably the money and, <laughs> right. uh, and not maybe, not maybe the, uh, the faculty or the staff or the, or, or the students. So when you were in college, if someone would have said, Hey, Kent, Many years from now, you are going to be a provost. You would have said what to them? Uh, I would have thought that would have told them they were crazy. I, I think uh, just a few years ago, I would have probably said they were crazy. I, I, I think about uh, my my journey through life, and most of the people that knew me, that have known me, and particularly in my younger years, would have thought this was this was an impossibility. Um, so. Uh, uh, but you know the Lord, the you know man makes plans and, and God laughs. I believe is the is mm. the parable, and um, and so the Lord puts you where you are supposed to be when you're supposed to be there at just the right time for just the right thing. And so we really believe, my wife and I really believe that that we have been called uh, to the South Plains uh, for a specific reason that we don't know what it is yet, um, but uh, we believe that God will make it plain and make it clear and. Um, one thing about my, my professional life, my personal life as well, is that I, I try to be open to God's leading and, and uh, try to be an instrument of His. And, and, and so far, um, the, the amazing thing about being open to God is uh, when, you, when you give Him everything in your life, you don't hold anything back, He gives you the kind of life that other people look at and go, wow, I, I wish I had that life. Uh, and so he, he takes care of you in every way. So we, we believe we're here for a reason, and, and we're trying to honor God, and uh, we think it's going to be really great. 
I loved what you said when you were visiting LCU and, and you know, you were interested in the provost position you were visiting and you did a presentation to faculty and staff. One of the things you said at the end is, hey, you know, I'm really comfortable where I'm at right now. I know everyone. Everyone knows me. It's a lot of fun. I'm a great community. But I don't know if I'm supposed to coast into this next chapter of my career, which would, which would, the next one would be retirement after this current chapter. Mm. I love what you said. Could you, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, yes, I, I, um, I, my, my journey professionally, I began, uh, at Lipscomb university in 2000 and, or in 1996 actually, and spent eight years at Lipscomb and then Abilene Christian university kind of recruited me three different times. And I finally said yes to going out there. And we, so we moved there in 2004 and my, my role there was to really try to revitalize and, and maybe even in a way rescue an environmental sciences program that had kind of gone sideways. And so we did that. We felt really good about it. The, the program was on a very different trajectory. Um, we didn't think we would ever leave ACU. Um, and then Lipscomb called again and said, hey, we want to start this Institute for Sustainable Practice, and we think you're exactly the right person. And so I got recruited pretty heavily to go back to Nashville. And so then for 14 years, I was at Nashville, altogether uh, 22 years teaching at Lipscomb University. I taught a generation of kids, either in the sustainability area, environmental science area, or pre-med area. And so when you've been at a place for that long, um, and you've, you know, my, the first, my first group of students that I ever taught are in their late forties. Now they're established, their kids are going to college. And so you have all these relationships that are really rich and that are old and that the university loves to leverage, <laughs> uh, to help the university grow, uh, in a real, very real sense. Uh, I was, a I, I was a made man in Nashville. I was, I was, um, uh, in every way, completely and totally part of the culture there, the community there. I was used to do everything from raise money to recruit students to build programs. And so, when you're you're in that position, it can become very comfortable, and you have a you, you are afforded a certain I don't know if I would say a level of respect, but you have a certain position in that in that community that is valued and I guess respected. And it would have been really easy to stay there for the le- the next eight to ten years of my career, however long that I'm going to work, and enjoy the position that I had I had achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would be coasting, uh, and I I literally I remember using that term. It would be so easy for me to just coast the rest of my way out. I don't think God ever calls any of us to ever coast at any time. I don't. When do you get to retire from being a Christian? Mm. Uh, and so in my professional life, um, I don't think that that would have been healthy for my relationship with God to just sort of sit and certainly use relationships and, and enjoy those relationships that I had there. But in a very real sense, I wouldn't have been making like progress. Um, and so here being feeling like being called here and there just a whole series of events in my professional and personal life that led me to this moment to be at, at Lubbock Christian University, um, you, you, you can look back on that and go, you know, God was preparing me for this particular thing at LCU, or God was getting me ready for this move to LCU. Um, and and for me to have said no to that, um, even, you know, I, 
I don't want to really get into the negotiations of even of coming here, but we, we were getting close to the end and I was really having second thoughts about whether or not I should come. And, uh, just the conviction <laughs> as you sit and reflect, um, you know, as I would say four or five days before I was actually offered the job, I was, I was really, really thinking about not coming. Uh, but being convicted that this is the place that we're supposed to be at this moment in our in our career, and it's hard. You, we didn't just leave professional life. I was an elder at a church for a number of years, and our family, both of my wife and I, our families are there. I mean, we are literally out here a thousand miles from everybody that we love, <laughs> and uh, and uh, doing it because we believe that this is where God wants us to be mm-hmm. at this period in our lives. What is it about LCU that, that caught your eye or that, that draws you to this place you're, that you're intrigued about? Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the number one thing about LCU that I, that I am already loving uh, is that LCU isn't confused about who they are or what they're trying to do. I, I think universities, often Christian universities, faith-based universities, they get to a point in the trajectory of their life as an institution where they begin to make decisions about um, what it is that they really want to try and accomplish as an institution. And so universities sometimes will start to make choices that begin to distance themselves in sometimes imperceptible ways, sometimes very intentional ways, from the, the purpose of their founding. There's a really, really fantastic university in the Carolinas called Elon University. It started as a restoration movement Um Christian connection. It was a uh, the the founder of the university was was really heavily influenced in the in the mid eighteen hundreds by Barton W Stone, somebody who's who's part of our tradition in the Churches of Christ Restoration. They started a college. It later became affiliated more with the United Churches of Christ. But as the university began to try and compete with the likes of Davidson and Duke and and um, and universities like of that of that ilk, Furman, mm. uh, they began to make decisions to curry favor with the world. Uh, and as they began to curry favor with the world, they slowly began to lose their connection with their faith until they very intentionally severed their relationship with the United Churches of Christ in the 1980s. Now that university's, you know, Elon is is synonymous with quality and distinction and. It's a university of choice for, for, for children of families in the top quintile of earners in the, Western, in the eastern seaboard. And if you look at their U.S. News and World Report rankings, they're like number one in the nation for undergraduate teaching mm-hmm. in the whole country. Uh, they're in the top ten of every category that U.S. News and World Report ranks. They've, they've done it, but they did it at a cost, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they did it at the cost of walking away from their commitment to faith and the reason that they were founded in the first place. So all that to say, the, the thing that really attracts me to LCU is the fact that LCU isn't confused about who we are and what we're trying to do here. Uh, this is God's work at, at LCU. This is, the, the school is strongly student-centric, but even more so strongly missional. The school understands its mission of creating a worldview in our students that is based on the person of Jesus Christ a worldview that gives meaning and purpose to every aspect of life so that when that student graduates from this university, they go on to a fantastic career, but an even better life. 
And all of us involved in that work here, uh, we can take a great deal of satisfaction in knowing that our fingerprints are on those lives, and God used us to influence those lives, and that our graduates will not just have great careers, but they'll be great servants in their community, and that they'll be great servants in their churches, and they'll be different mamas and daddies and and uh, better spouses to one another because of the influence that God had in their life during this period of becoming that you enter into when you start college. In hopes to help faculty and students get to know you better, tell them a little bit about yourself. What do you What do you do for fun? Uh, what What are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do when you're not working? Well, um, I uh, I miss one of the things I'm really missing is uh, my my farm. Hmm. Um, I am a uh, hillbilly from Tennessee. <laughs> um, my family has operated the same uh, farm. Uh, for 190 years, and uh, ordinarily my weekends would be spent with my brother-in-law and my dad and my sons um, working on our farm. So I'm, I miss that. That's a bit that has been a big part of my life. Uh, but I'm a thousand miles away from that farm now. Uh, so that's that's a big part of who I am. I'm I'm very tightly uh, bound to that place. Um, there are few people that that actually not only know who their fifth great-grandfather is, but can actually go to that person's grave. Mm. Uh, so I uh, am a seventh-generation um, farmer in Tennessee. So that's a big part of my identity. Uh, another big thing that I, I enjoy that I think really helps me a lot is um, racquetball. I'm a racquetball enthusiast. I've been playing since 1978, which is probably before you were born, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, um, sir. So... Uh, that is a big part of my life. It I, really saw you, helps. I saw you in there with President McDowell the other day. Was that, yeah. the, was that the first game on that y'all have played since you moved here? We, we played actually on my first day on the job. That was the, that was the first game that we played here. And of course, he and I, we played uh, together for a long time when he was at Lipscomb also. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's kind of slow and clumsy, though. So. <laughs> well, let's just not, let's not get into that part of it. But uh, I, do, uh, I do enjoy racquetball. The other thing that's a big part of who I am is um, I'm a nature enthusiast, and I love hiking and camping. And uh, I, for much of my career, I have taken students with me to different places around the country. And whether it's the Everglades or the Olympic Peninsula or – Frankly, when I was in Nashville, we would come about every third year to um, the Guadalupe Mountains and do the Trans-Pecos region all the way down to Big Bend and study arid lands ecology. So a lot of camping, a lot of hiking. Um, my wife has never been with me on any of those trips, and so now that we're in this region, I've, I've told her, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to go hike the south rim of the Chichos, and we're going to go to McKittrick Canyon, and we're going to go and look at some of, the, of God's beauty uh, that can be found out here in these arid lands. I read about your your background uh, in, in your area of expertise in, in higher education, uh, and I read environmental sciences. I read you know science and then sustainability. Hmm. How did you find yourself on those paths? Yeah, so um, I was originally recruited to Lipscomb in 1996 to actually create an environmental science program. My academic training, my bachelor's degree is in chemistry, my master's degree is is in environmental science, and then my PhD is in plant physiology and biochemistry. So I'm kind of on the chemistry side, 
My master's degree, I studied how pollutants are broken down and transported in soil and mm. how they can contaminate groundwater and that kind of thing. So I, I uh, really became, in graduate school, very, very interested in the environmental movement. The problem with the environmental movement, though, is that it really uh, alienated the business community in a big way, uh, painted the business community as being the enemy, really. Uh, and so when this, the sustainability movement began to, to start, um, and, and as it has matured, uh, it has embraced business in a way that the environmental science movement did not, the environmental movement really did not. So sustainability is, is really about finding the, the nexus of where you are doing something good for the planet, uh, and you're doing something good for people, and you're doing something good for profit. So planet, people, profit, and where you're doing something good for those three areas, where those three things kind of come together, if you imagined a Venn diagram where you have these three intersecting circles, where those three things come together, that's sustainability. So, you know, we worked on a variety of different sustainability. Um, uh, I, I've, I started the Sustainability Institute at Lipscomb, um, and one of the first things we did there was we established the very first green MBA program in the state of Tennessee. And so those graduates then go and they work for all kinds of companies, UPS, Tractor Supply, there's just a bunch of companies, helping those companies figure out ways to green up their business practices and, and really embrace a, a sustainability ethic. And, and it's, it can be really little things. You know, if you're UPS and you have the ability to pre-plan a delivery route based on a GPS, you, you put a GPS and UPS truck, uh, and you can pre-plan a delivery route so that you only take right turns. Now, why would that make any difference if you're only taking right turns? Well, that means that every time you come to a stoplight, you don't have to stop there very long. Mm -hmm. You can just take a right turn. And the amount of fuel savings from that very small thing for that company ended up being in the billions of dollars. Wow. So they're saving money. The less fuel you burn, the less CO2 goes in the atmosphere, and you've got a thriving company providing jobs for lots and lots of people. Uh, so that's, that's an example of where sustainability is, is, is really, for me, much more, um, much more preferable than the environmental science movement. The environmental science movement would just say fossil fuels are bad. Hmm. Don't burn fossil fuels. No, I, I think that that's not, that's not a realistic position to take. And now that I'm, I'm in Texas, <laughs> I'm never going to complain about how expensive, you know, oil is because uh, right. I'm sure we've got some folks in our, uh, who support our university that rely on that. So, uh, but that's, that's sort of the sustainability thing there. When you were a faculty member and in, in teaching you know, throughout your career, what was your favorite class that you taught? Boy, that is so hard. That's like asking who's your favorite child, <laughs> right? I, uh, I uh, have, because my academic training is so broad, I have taught literally everything from environmental ethics, environmental law, uh, to um, general chemistry, uh, to, um, to molecular biology, because I am a, a biochemist. Um, probably the thing that I enjoyed the very most would have been um, uh, an introductory molecular biology course that I taught for pre-med students. Um, it uh, was sort of the first gatekeeper course for all of our pre-meds at Lipscomb. I would teach ordinarily somewhere around, oh, 200 kids a year in that class. And all of them were aspiring doctors and dentists and 
pharmacists and physical therapists and uh, to um, to try and, and help those young students understand what it's going to take to be successful um, and then uh, to inspire them to embrace science as a profession. Uh, that was a whole, that was for me, was a whole, whole, whole lot of fun. Um, so that would that'd probably be the, the top, my favorite course that I've, I've taught recently. But a close second would be one in natural medicine. I really um, have taught that for many years as well. And, and so uh, one of my things that, that was a favorite thing for me to do for many years was, because that was one of my areas of research was natural medicine. So uh, to go into a GNC um, and, and, and talk to the salesperson and ask them, hey, tell me, tell me, how, how does this work? And, and, uh, and then listen to them give you the sales pitch for chromium piclinate or whatever and then and sit there and just kind of laugh <laughs> on the inside. But uh, that's another one that was a favorite to teach. When you were associate dean, were you still uh, teaching a class here and there? I taught very little when I was associate dean. Most of my portfolio as an associate dean was in the area of uh, advancement fundraising uh, right. and um, new program development, program reviews. So I was responsible for um, the, our dashboards on uh, profitability of all of our programs and trying to to get a handle on which areas were growing, which areas needed more support, and then um, interacting with alumni and external constituencies to raise money. So raised a lot of money uh, for, I say, for a Christian university, $15 million is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I raised a good bit of money for, for my school. You've, uh, you know, you've, we've talked about you being at Lipscomb and, and ACU. You've had, you have a long career in Christian higher education, mm -hmm. but then you look at where you went to school. You, you did UT Knoxville and the University of Tennessee, and you've seen, you know, the state education. Mm -hmm. You've seen both worlds. Mm -hmm. What, what does Christian higher education mean to you? Uh, what's the value of it? What would you say to a parent who's asking, mm -hmm. you know, what, how is this different? Yeah, I, I think that uh, this is a conversation that we often have with families, and it's really interesting. Um, parents of my, you know, my parents' generation, uh, people who are now in their their eighties and nineties, they they really believed in sacrificing for their children to have a Christian education. They believed in the value of of the the sort of character formation that goes on in in what we do. Uh, in Christian higher ed, as the years have gone by, and 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 uh, folks, uh, it just seems that folks have become less. Uh, it, it's not a immediate like my kid has to go to Christian education anymore. There's a whole lot more um, students. Kids are given a lot more autonomy, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, in my generation, you know, my when I was getting ready to go to college, my dad was like, "Okay, so you can go to Lipscomb, you can go to Freed, you can go to Harding, you can go." <laughs> You had there was a list of schools I could go to, and by the way, my dad was a professor at the University of Florida. I mean, mm. he was had a brilliant career in secular education as a scientist. Uh, but he was these were the schools I was allowed to go to. Now parents are like, "Hey, my kid can go wherever they want, right? It's just he can choose, she can choose." So we end up having this conversation about what we do in Christian higher education and why it's important. And you know, Christian education, you, you, you kind of think of it in in three ways. And, and what's the value in Christian education? Well, most basic, number one, we're going to provide a high-quality education. That kid's going to be able to get a job and have a career and, and be able to live in contemporary America and pay for their life. And we, we provide the education that, that, is, that, that gets them there. 
The second thing that we do that you do not you do not find in secular education is we are going to inform their faith. Um, a big part of of Christian higher education, Christ in education, isn't just loving kids, uh, which we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's informing their faith. It's building their faith. It's helping them to own their own faith. We get kids who are 17, 18 years old. They think they know who they are, and they think they know what they believe, but more often than not, they don't know who they are, and they don't have a faith that really belongs to them yet. And so we're in the business of helping them mature in that, knowing, owning, informing their faith. And then the third thing that we do in Christian education that stands in in opposition, I think, to secular education is we are equipping them to interact with the dominant culture. That's that worldview part. Mm. And a secular institution, a secular university is going to create a worldview, but it won't be a worldview that is built and based on the person of Jesus Christ. It will not be a biblically-centered worldview. And so, yes, we provide a great education. We inform our students' faith. But the most important thing about Christian higher education is we create a worldview. We help those students have a worldview that will allow them to interact with the dominant culture in a way that is God-honoring. Mm. Uh, and that, even if you go to a great secular school that will help you build character, they won't help you build a worldview that will allow you to interact with the dominant culture in a way that honors God. Mm. That is well said. I know you've only uh, been in Texas, moved here officially for a week, but well, early on here, Dr. Gene, what's what's one of the biggest differences between Tennessee and Texas? Uh, the number of syllables in words <laughs> is different. No, I don't <laughs> want to do that. Uh, in Tennessee, we just run everything together. You know, I've I've yeah. I've got a per, one of our faculty members, the, the chair of our department of of communication and uh, fine arts. Uh, Lori Doyle, uh-huh. uh, I have to be really careful about saying her name because in Tennessee, we just call her Lloyd, Lori Dole, Dole. <laughs> you know, we, we just run everything together in Tennessee, and out here you actually pronounce syllables. When I was a student at ACU, I, I discovered that the letter A can actually have two syllables. Um, <laughs> right. uh, cheerleaders would say, I see you, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> just draw it out. How many syllables can we put in the letter A? No. That's that's uh, that's it's a, that's a silly thing to 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 sort of say. Uh, what I'm discovering about Lubbock and, and Lubbock is very different from from Abilene. I think Abilene has much more, still has much more of a Southern sensibility about it. Um, up here on the Panhandle, it feels much more Western. Hmm. Uh, it feels like a more Western sensibility. I think politics are a little different. I don't want to stray into politics, but there's more of a um, I guess I would say uh, it's kind of a libertarian vibe hmm. going on in this part of the world. I mean, it just it feels a little it feels a little different. There's a bootstrap kind of mentality here, also that's that's palpable. I mean, you can you can tell that people are used to sort of doing it, you hmm. know, and not relying on anybody else to help them do it. So uh, I'm I'm trying to integrate. Uh, I'm married to a West Texan, um, so my wife has family scattered out. Uh, everywhere from Midland, Odessa, Andrews, uh, the Metroplex. I mean, we've. I think she has a great nephew that lives here in Lubbock. We haven't seen him yet, but mm-hmm. but uh, so I'm I'm married to a Texan. I'm trying to adapt to being in Texas, just like my wife had to adapt to 
being surrounded by trees when we were living back east. You know, she felt like a caged animal because uh, she couldn't see where she was going. You know, out here you can kind of look off and go, I want to go over there, and and you can kind of make your way because there's nothing in the way. So. Well, have y'all found any good food yet? Uh, you know, um, I am a big old boy, so uh, I, uh, I the somebody was asking me that the other day about Mexican food, and we've tried a lot of Mexican places, and and uh, we we love I love uh, to eat, and somebody said we well, have found any that you really like, and I said, well, you know, Mexican food is kind of like cake. You know, even bad Mexican food is better than no Mexican <laughs> That's food, right. right? Bad cake is better than no cake. So we are we are, and and of course. Because we were in Abilene for several years, I fell in love with Bluebell ice cream and Whataburger. And uh, when I when we moved back to Tennessee, there there was no Whataburger, uh, but we did have Bluebell. So we are we are loving being back in the land of Whataburger and and uh, Taco Villa and all of the fast food stuff that we used to love when we were when we were here 15 years ago. You bet. Uh, this is this is my last one, and I really do appreciate the time. But just one one final message to this community, Dr. Gallagher. What are what are you most excited about? As as we are a month and a half away from from beginning your first semester as provost and chief academic officer. Yeah, I'm 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 most excited about the potential that this university has. I I think sometimes when when we're smaller and we've struggled, uh, we can begin to think of ourselves as less than. And we see all of the things that we can't do. Sometimes we focus on that. What I see when I look at this university is a tremendous amount of potential, really, really talented people who have, who have succeeded against the odds in some cases, and a university that is on a launching pad. And, and some of it is going to require us to just maybe think of ourselves differently. Uh, but I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to grow, not just for the sake of growing, but so that we can have a better and greater impact. Um, I'm going to say it over and over and over again. I'm sure that that we want to embrace innovation. We want to embrace growth. I believe that that is part and parcel of what a pioneer spirit would look like. Um, you have to innovate. Uh, you know, the, the, the tornado comes through and tears up your ranch, and you've got to figure out how to, to put it back again, but not not be satisfied with it the way it was, right? You're mm. continually trying to grow. So I think we're a university on a launching pad, uh, and, um, and I'm excited about the growth that we will see, but more importantly, the impact in the lives of people that that growth will enable us to have. Um, it's really not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any one of us. It's not about uh, anybody who works here. It's about the impact that we can have for the kingdom in the lives of young people at a really, really critical time in their personal development. Dr. G, thanks so much for taking the time to have this conversation today. We are glad that you're here. Welcome Mm -hmm. to LCU. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the LCU podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone you know. Please follow and subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. I hope that you have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to LCU's podcast. For more content like this, go to lcu.edu.